Hi everybody and welcome back to Lost Genre Reddit Stories. This post is from the subreddit Am I the A-hole and it's by user Idiot Rich Boyfriend. Am I the A-hole for moving out because I don't want to help my boyfriend out with the rent? My boyfriend, 26 male, and I, 24 female, have been together for three years. We live in New York City and he makes over 200,000 a year while I'm studying for my master's in social work and have no income. Right now, I'm doing an unpaid year-long internship three days a week, as well as classes two days a week. It's rare to get a paid internship in social work, plus internships are mandatory. I spend 12 hours a day working, studying, commuting, or in class. My only free days are on weekends, so I have no time for a paid job. My mom helps me financially by paying for my metro card and healthcare expenses, but for everything else, I rely on loans. Before I moved in with my boyfriend, there was a roach infestation in my apartment, so I'd stay over at his place a lot. My lease was ending soon, so he asked me if I wanted to live with him. At first, I joked with him that his living standards would go down since I can't afford a nice place. But he insisted on paying the rent until I finished grad school. Then, we would split the rent based on income. I originally wanted to live in a cheaper place in Queens or Brooklyn, but my boyfriend likes his current place and insisted I move in since he would be the one paying the rent. So I moved into his 5000 a month luxury condo in the city this August. All of a sudden, my boyfriend recently started asking me to pay half the rent, $2500 a month. I was confused because he was the one who wanted to pay the rent in full. Apparently, he was talking to his friends and they all think it was weird that I didn't pay rent and that I was a gold digger. I let my boyfriend know that I can't afford $2,500 a month and he said I was leeching off of him. So I told them that he should find someone within his social class so he doesn't have to worry about a gold digger like me leeching off of him. I stayed at my friend's place for a few days while figuring out what to do. I called my mom about my situation and she is willing to help me out, but the maximum she can afford for rent is $800. I found some places in Queens within the price range less than 15 minutes away from the city and a bus ride away from my school, so I went to check them out a couple of days ago. I've been texting the landlord and my new roommates and I already signed the lease. I told my boyfriend about my new place and he got upset and asked me to stay. He said he was willing to accept $800 a month instead of $2,500 if that's all I can afford. But I told him I don't want him changing his mind again and demanding more money from me in the future. He lived in this condo alone for several years, so it's not like he can't afford to live there without my help. I wouldn't mind splitting the rent with him, but I would have to live in a more affordable place outside of Manhattan like I originally wanted. Apparently, some of our mutual friends think I'm being unreasonable for moving out instead of talking to him and staying by paying the amount I can afford in rent, and that I shouldn't have let him pay my portion of the rent. So, am I the a-hole? Well, Pete, no, you're not the a-hole in my opinion. Your boyfriend is the a-hole because he changed the agreement on the go and you don't do that. Not unless you have a proper conversation or a sit-down conversation with your partner instead of getting influenced by your friends. I mean, he was the one that wanted you to move in and not pay rent. Now, on this point, I just have one question. Was the agreement that he would cover the cost of rent only or the cost of living? Because you only talk about rent, so I'm wondering about bills and groceries. Like in a contribute with what you can kind of thing. 
But regardless of the answer to that question, your boyfriend changing the terms of your agreement or your understanding, that's not cool to do. So your choice to move out to a place that you can afford and you would feel more comfortable in, I think is the best solution here. But you definitely need to talk to your boyfriend or maybe future ex-boyfriend in the case that you can't reach an understanding. And what about you guys? What is your judgment in this situation? Let me know in the comment section and now let's move on to the community comments to see what they said. Left car 6520 says, around he effed and out he found, not the a-hole. It is refreshing to see someone just up and say, nope, that ain't gonna work and then promptly exit the crappy situation and take care of things. The audacity to suddenly demand a cool $2,500 after you had an agreement, knowing you had previously suggested moving somewhere affordable and he insisted because his friends hurt his ego while grossly insulting you makes him seem weak-willed, thin-skinned, self-centered, kinda manipulative and a terrible negotiator. Because now he's sitting home alone with his sad face on that his girlfriend left. Plus, he's got no chance of getting a bit of rent for the place he probably can't afford and no chance of lording it over you anymore, which it seems like he might have been inclined to. Talk about a backfiring plan. Moons and Stars says, not the a-hole. They think you're being unreasonable? That's rich. He literally convinced you to move into his apartment, turning down your offers to find a cheaper place so you could contribute. The fact that his friends see you as a gold digger and don't appear to know the full story, the fact that you offered to pay and to find a cheaper place and he insisted otherwise, is also a red flag to me and makes me question how he talks about you to his friends. Definitely not the a-hole and I would question why you would want to date someone who is so easily influenced by his friends' uninformed opinions of you. Boolean Radley says, not the a-hole. Moving goalposts after you moved in makes him the a-hole. He thought moving you in would instill the sunk cost fallacy. You were smart for ignoring it. Strike one. His friends are crap-talking you behind your back. What does he do? Does he stand up for you? No, he agrees with them. Strike two. Unilaterally changing the terms, not being clear again. Oh, I would have let you stay for 800 a month. Surprise, he's blaming you again for something he never communicated. Strike three, name calling, leeching. Am I seeing any respect for you? You wanting to be treated with respect is not unreasonable. Rila Naveen says, somewhat off topic, but is it not rare to get a paid internship when getting a master's in social work? If anything, I would say it's rare for it to be an unpaid internship. Girl, know your worth. And Opie responds, I'm not sure where you live, but unfortunately in the US a paid internship in social work is extremely rare. The normalization of unpaid internships is actually a major issue and students are finally starting to advocate for compensation through movements like payments for placement. I only know a handful of people in my cohort who have paid field placements. Zella's Ideal Divide 6 says, not the a-hole. You certainly could have taken a step back to try to work something out before jumping to moving out. But you have to do what you think is best for yourself instead of letting the outside noise change your mind as your boyfriend did. Your boyfriend will need to learn the hard way about letting outside opinions interfere with his relationships. I don't think you should feel bad or guilt yourself either. He changed the entire plan without warning, called you a gold digger and asked you to split rent in a place you can't afford. If you're still together at the end of your new lease, you can reevaluate your living situation. 
Next time, be firm in your boundaries about living somewhere you can both afford so rent can't be held over your head. Bananaberry518 says, You are absolutely not the echo for making sure you have a place to live. To be honest, calling you a gold digger sounds like a way to hold something over your head and make you feel indebted to him. And the fact that he's upset you actually won't be relying on him after all is very telling. He misled you on the situation and you did the smart thing by handling your own business. If he can't be happy with you unless you need him for a place to stay but is also going to use that over your head, he's not a very nice person. Well, the community absolutely agrees that OP is not the a-hole and that the a-hole is the boyfriend that got influenced by his friends and moved the goalpost. So now, it's time for us to move on to the update to see how this story ends. But before, I'm gonna show you another one of my playlists like this one that only has stories with updates on them. Now, let's move on to the update to this story. Update. Yes, I did dump him. I blocked him and his idiot friends on everything. My friends also blocked him since he tried to contact me through them. I'm going to enjoy being single and never relying on a man financially ever again. Update 2. I'm going to make a few clarifications since a lot of you are confused and clearly aren't familiar with New York City. Yes, it is possible to find a room for $800 in Queens when you have several roommates. But my room is small as crap, has no air conditioning, which obviously isn't an issue now but will be in the summer, and is above a restaurant, which means I'll probably have rodent roomies. My current roomie told me that they did have a rat problem in the past, but it's supposedly fixed. However, knowing these mutant city rats, I know they'll come back. But this is the best I can do for now. I'm not some new bright-eyed transplant who thinks New York City is only the trendy and rich parts of Manhattan, so I know where to look. In general, New York City landlords have a 40 times rent rule. Landlords that accept guarantors follow the 80 times rule. But some landlords are more lenient when it comes to students. My landlord's son is also an alumnus of the school I'm currently attending and is from the same cultural and ethnic background as me, which probably gave me some leverage along with the fact that my mom meets the 80 times requirement. It also took me a week to find my current place. I just started my second year in Masters in Social Work program this September. I finished undergrad two and a half years ago and worked full time before starting my master's degree. So yes, I did have a job and paid my own rent, which was $1,025 a month for a roach infested apartment in Queens that I shared with a roommate. I obviously don't have time to work now due to my schedule. My place was not rent stabilized. I'm confused as to how some of you came to this conclusion. It was cheap because it was a crappy place and no one wants to live there. Yes, my ex does make that much money. It's New York City, he's been in the workforce for 5 years and people here make more money than they would in whatever town you're from, especially in his field. It was initially shocking to me that someone with just a bachelor's could earn that much while contributing absolutely nothing to society, but that's life. There's a 3000 character limit, so it's hard to include everything. My original post got deleted since I exceeded the limit and I had to delete a lot of information to get this post approved. The last thing I need right now is non-New Yorkers from the rest of Bum F America trying to have some sort of weird gotcha moment because they think sex and the city and rich transplants on social media are representative of the real New York City. 
Well, OP ended that relationship, which is a good thing. And also, apparently the community did get a little bit on OP's nerves because she wasn't having any of it. In any case, OP, all the best in the future with your education and with life, and hopefully the apartment that you found suits you well. Take care and thank you so much for sharing. Now, to spice things up a bit, I decided that on this video, I'm gonna give you two mood booster posts. So let's move on with the first one. This post is from the subreddit Malicious Compliance, and it's by user Little Was Known. Short staff cleaners, but you want it clean? I heard this story at a union conference about five years ago. It was presented as one of the union victories for the year. There was a company that employed around 20 or so cleaners. The award agreement for the number of cleaners worked by square feet of floor space, number of toilets, number of hand basins, number of staff kitchens, bins, etc. Both union and management had got to the same number and the staff was worked fairly. After a couple of years, new management takes over and stops using casual cleaners for backfill, leave, etc. This means each day they are basically short-staffed, not making the agreement terms. Then, a couple of staff members leave and are not replaced. Management started complaining that the place isn't up to standards and customers had complained. They threatened the staff with punishment, etc. One of the cleaners calls the union and the union calls an industrial dispute with the employer. In the dispute, the employer has nowhere to go on this. The award spells out the formula for staffing and the union basically says, if you don't like it, we will take you to court and you'll lose after spending a heap of money. HR argues but basically agrees to employ more staff and put some casuals on. They say it may take a few weeks to advertise and interview, etc. So we will have to be patient. There was a real feeling that they were not going to try too hard. The union says sure under these conditions. One, you can no longer threaten punishment about work due to the short staffing. Two, you try your best to get staff. Three, those cleaners will clean only the amount covered by the award each day, and four, any complaints to be given to the union, not the staff during this time. The third point becomes the sticking point, but HR agrees on the condition that cleaners make the customer's side of the business a priority. It's agreed upon. The union left with the distinct impression HR will drag its feet on employing new staff. The union goes to the staff and says what's happened, and the staff is unhappy about not getting more staff immediately. The union organizer tells them that they only have to clean so much space, so focus on the customer side of the business and ask the staff not to clean any of the HR staff offices, tea room or toilets. The same goes for the executive staff of any department manager's office. Don't even empty a bin there, be completely compliant with the offer. So after a week, HR hasn't advertised or employed any new staff, but the cleaners report that all the office kitchens in HR and executive look untidy and the bathrooms smell a bit, bins are filling up fast, etc. At the beginning of the second week, the union gets a phone call about cleaners not doing their work from HR. The union asks if the customer site is clean and they agree it is very clean. Well, the union says, this is our agreement. Still, HR doesn't advertise any jobs. By the end of the second week, the CEO asks the cleaners why the offices look terrible. The cleaners say to ring the union. There are complaints coming from everywhere in the company about the state of staff amenities, etc. And the CEO is unhappy. The CEO rings and organizes a meeting with the union for the next day. 
By this stage, the executive office bins are overflowing and the manager's offices are dusty. The bathrooms are far from clean and since no cleaner has been in there, there is no soap or toilet paper. In the meeting, the CEO asks what's going on with our union members. The union organizer explains their deal with HR and the short staffing. The union organizer states we have been completely compliant with what was asked of us. The CEO claims he was unaware and is livid. HR is summoned and asked to explain. HR gets blasted and jobs get advertised that day. A deal is struck for overtime for any cleaner who will clean the offices of the executives. The union had the extra staff employed within two weeks, plus a casual pool. Some of the union members picked up some handy overtime money too. Every meeting with the company after that was highly productive for the union and its members. Well OP, a deal is a deal and your guys adhere to it perfectly. Thank you so much for sharing OP and all the best, take care. And now let's finish this video with the last mood booster post. This post is also from Malicious Compliance and it's by user reddit ad mind dumb 87. If you don't want me to take advantage of your grading policy, then you shouldn't have had the policy that you did. Taking a class. The class is graded on seven different projects of increasing difficulty. Then we have a final at the end. And your projects are worth 60% of your grade and the final is worth 40%. The policy is they will drop the lowest project grade to calculate your grade. In the first six projects, I got five perfect scores, 100 out of 100. And my lowest grade was 85 out of 100. This was the first project I had some mistakes which I learned from. The last project seemed particularly long and annoying and I'm quite busy with a lot of other things. I emailed the professor to clarify his grading policy and he tells me I still need to submit something otherwise the policy won't apply. So I submit my project and my project is literally just the title of the project, my name, a summary of the project and that's it. Took me about 5 minutes, if that. I'd submit. He tells me that it's incomplete. I tell him that that's the project I'm submitting and he tells me I'm going to get a really bad grade on this project to which I say that's fine. I looked at the grading rubric, I should get 5 points. We get 5 points for name and title. He tells me I'm abusing his grading policy. I tell him it's his grading policy. He tells me he's not going to drop my lowest grade and instead of having a 97.5 project grade, I'll have an 84.2% project grade. I go to his department chair, I cc him and I highlight the part in the syllabus where it clearly states lowest project grade will be dropped. I also attach the email to him confirming his policy and clearly stating something needs to be submitted to be graded for the policy to qualify. The chair responds and says that the policy outlined in the syllabus needs to be the policy that's followed and therefore when it comes time to calculate my final grade he needs to drop my lowest project grade which in this case would be a 5% grade. Oh, and I already thought about the final and how that might impact his grading off my final. You see, his final is going to be a multiple choice auto-graded final. The malicious part is I obviously submitted subpar work knowing that the work would be a bad grade, but it wouldn't matter because the grade would be dropped. Professor tried to back out, but the department chair told him he needs to honor his grading policy. A few reasons why I did this. Had I done the final project, I would probably spend 8 to 10 hours working on it. My project grade would have gone from 97.5 to 100% best case, assuming I got a 100% on it and I would have had less time to prepare for my final. 
If those 8 hours I spent preparing for my final net me an extra 10% on my final, that's worth more than the max benefit of 2.5% I'd have gotten from doing my final project. Also, that's assuming I'd have gotten 100%. Obviously, anything better than 85% would have improved my grade, but the scale would still be somewhere from 0% to 2.5% improvement. Well, OP, you analyzed all the information you had and all these scenarios that could possibly take place, and you got the best outcome. Congratulations, OP, and thank you so much for sharing. And that's it for today's video. Thank you so much for taking the time to watch it. Now, if you've gotten to this point in the video, I assume that you like these stories that I'm reading out, so here are a couple more that you might enjoy. And if you don't have any time to watch another story right now, save it for later, and also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button.